0: welcome to the wired to hunt podcast your home for deer hunting news stories and strategies and now your host mark kenyon
2: welcome to the wired to hunt podcast i'm your host mark kenyon this is episode number 198 and today in the show dan myself and spencer Newharth are reviewing our favorite gear from the 2017 hunting season, and the latest and greatest new products at the 2018 ATA Show.
1: (laughs) Okay, let's do this then. Dan, Uh, Dan, I didn't hurt your feelings with that Facebook review, did I? <laughs> what, what you just called me dumb, right? On
3: on I, I social mean, media. Yeah, that's right? all. That's okay. All. Well, yeah.
1: What are you What are you talking about, Spencer? <laughs> yeah, I, I ran it by Dan first. <laughs> I, I wanted to make sure. But no, I
4: th- I thought we were, we agreed on something else, man. Not to in- actually insult my intelligence. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> what well, like? So we're talking about that time that when we were posting updates. On the ATA show, on the Wired Facebook page, Spencer, you posted a picture of Dan's four-fingered hand. Yep, yep. <laughs> and, well, yep. I think, what, what did it say? Uh, the, the 2018
4: model is much dumber and still <laughs> if that was ex- Is that exactly what you put? I can't. Uh, yeah, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it.
2: All right, let's record so we get the good stuff. Oh, I've already been recording. So oh, okay, good. <laughs> so welcome to Wired to Hunt, <laughs> <laughs> brought to you by Sitka Gear, and and as you've heard today on the show, it's me, it's Dan Johnson, and it's the Wired to Hunt version of Barry White, Spencer Newharth, and we're talking about we're talking about the 2018 ATA show. Uh, If you're not familiar, this is the Archery Trade Association show that happens every year where all the latest and greatest new hunting gear is displayed. Um, So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Dan was there. Spencer was there. Spencer was slandering Dan's good name there. Um, I was not there. So we'll, we'll chat a little about that. And then also, since we're talking about gear, I've wanted for us to have an episode where we just kind of talked about some of the things that we've been using, some of the gear we've been using. Um, I get lots and lots of questions about what, you know, what this thing do you use? What binos do you use? What bow do you use? What this thing, that thing, whatever. Um, So the three of us can kind of share some of our favorites, I thought. That is our very, our very loose um, agenda for the day. So um, I didn't go to AT. What did I miss out on, Dan? (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know actually don't time out don't tell me that don't tell me that because okay. before we started record you said you've got a good story for us not related uh, to atf no it's
4: another kid's story dude like i'm all about those now you, okay well here how about this <laughs> tonight we're eating supper right and my son's like uh he eats his chicken but he doesn't eat this rice dish that we made and uh I go, I go, Mac. You got to have a couple bites before you get down, or no snap tonight. You know, trying to be that, you know, a good dad, I guess you'd say. <laughs> and so he's like, okay, I'll do whatever. And like I, I gave him like a spoonful, and then I was kind of paying attention to my daughter. She was carrying some plates, so I was she wouldn't spill. So I put another spoonful in and then I'd put another spoonful in his mouth and I thought he was chewing it and swallowing it. But then I go to the bathroom and he spits it all out on the bathroom floor (laughs) as in like, uh, I'm going to get away with this. Like, but it's just like a big pile. It's almost like the dog puked it up, but I know it wasn't the dog because (laughs) I didn't feed my dog rice tonight. And so Mac right now is in timeout for spitting food out on the kitchen floor or on the bathroom floor,
2: man. Kids. I I saw, I also saw that you were measuring the circumference of your other son's head. Yeah.
4: (laughs) No, my, uh, my mother-in-law, I don't, I think she went to a sporting goods store with my father-in-law and there was you know that trophy tape by by Wild Game Innovations, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just you just use it to measure deer antlers. Well, I put some around uh, my youngest son his head today, and uh, dude, he's <laughs> booner. He all day booner.
2: <laughs> he's got a seventy-inch, hundred and seventy-inch noggin. <laughs> he does kind of look like a lollipop. <laughs> I feel like I feel like your sons are gonna. You, you kind of have a big head. I feel like they're gonna have big heads. Is that fair? Yeah.
4: That's fair. I mean, my son Mac is in the ninety eighth percentile for head size at his age. So <laughs> his head his head is almost as big as my wife's. <laughs> and that goes back. <laughs> and that goes back to the the discussion we had last week when we're talking about watching births.
2: Yeah. So he was he was was he in the ninety eighth percentile when the birthing process happened? Yes. Oh. It was not a beautiful thing. Bless her heart.
1: Yikes. Yeah. yeah. So, Spencer, how many kids are you going to have? Uh, I, I've told you guys this before. You don't have to twist my arm <laughs> on not getting my wife pregnant. So, zero. <laughs> you should just get a vasectomy right now, dude. <laughs> <laughs> just nib it in the butt. Yep. I can't imagine they get a lot of 25-year-old vasectomies.
2: <laughs> that would be an... A surprising call, I imagine. You're you're uh, proactive. That should be admired, right? That's right. Yep. Ugh. So, no babies for Spencer. One on the way for me. Probably seven for Dan by the time it's all said and done. ATA. What did I miss out on that for? Wait a second. Before we get to that, <laughs> you didn't
4: go to the ATA because your wife was not feeling well. How is she doing now?
2: She's She's... She's doing pregnant.
4: (laughs) Okay. I get that.
2: You get that? Like she's just pregnant. She's done. Yeah. She's ready for the baby. Oh yeah. I mean, she is, she's at that stage where it's just like, so I think I can tell this story without her getting mad. How about, how about this? Um, (laughs) So early on in our pregnancy, like she was all concerned. She's like, please don't make me laugh too hard. I've heard that when you're going through this process, you lose control and I could pee myself. And so I've thought of it as a goal of mine, through this whole process to eventually make her piss herself. Well, a few weeks ago, I was going out the front door to get wood off of our porch where we keep all of our, you know, uh, split wood for the fireplace. So I go out the front door and at the last second, like I had stepped out and then the last second I realized that I needed something that was still inside. So I, I stepped out and then immediately turned back and thought I could walk through the door still open. but the spring on the screen door, unbeknownst to me at the moment, had already (laughs) pulled that door forward far enough so that when I turned at full speed, I ran full speed right into the side of the door. (laughs) So, like, the narrow end that went, like, like right in between my forehead, hard. Yes. Very painful. She erupts in laughter, starts crying, she pisses herself. It was great. She really enjoyed that. Um, Fast forward to, like, a week and a half ago, I was working late. Kylie went to bed early. She was laying in bed trying to go to sleep. I no, no, that's not right. If I remember right now, it was actually the night of the national championship game, college national championship game. Now, um, so this is right. So she went to go to bed that night early. I was gonna stay out and watch the football game. So I say goodnight night to her. I leave the room. I go out, um, and I'm taking a leak. And I'm thinking to myself man, she's so uncomfortable, she's miserable, she's laying in there. You should really go back and like give her attention. Like You shouldn't be going to watch the football game. You should go back and rub her back or something. So that's what I'm thinking. So I am thinking this. I'm looking down at my phone trying to turn the flashlight on on my phone because I wanted to use the flashlight to navigate into the dark room and then you know quietly walk up and, and say hi and rub her back. Well, while I'm looking down at the phone, walking towards the bedroom door, I forgot I'd closed the bedroom door, and I ran full speed into the door. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, then I, as I hit it, I fell to the ground, opening the door. Kylie had heard all this. She's laughing hysterically, and she again pisses herself so bad that the sheets are soaked that we had to change the Jesus. sheets. <laughs> and both of the times that I've now made her pee herself have been because I've ran into doors. <laughs>
4: Oh my God, that must have been, I I can, I wish you would have like (laughs) recorded that or like if you ever think about going, doing like a full, uh, uh, what's that called? Like the Kardashians, uh, full blown reality show. Yeah. Full blown reality show, man. I I have a feeling you run into doors more than just those two stories.
2: <laughs> the the odds would say so if uh, <laughs> if this is the case. So, yeah, I don't know what's funny, the fact that she peed herself twice or the fact that both of them were from me running into doors. But I, I honestly have that problem. Do you ever do this, either one of you guys, where I'm always in a hurry going places like in my house, and so I will be walking towards the closed door, and I'm already walking through the door as I'm turning the door handle. So... Like, I'm expecting that my door turn, the, the the turn of the handle will be successful and that the door will open so I don't slow down. I've had many times where I do that and my hand slips on the handle so it doesn't open. I just slam full speed into it. Is that just me? Yeah, it's just <laughs>
1: you. <laughs> okay, enough, uh, I've, enough, I've enough about doors. Married, I've only been married six months, so maybe I haven't got into the stage where I start walking into doors, you know? <laughs> Voluntarily. But one thing I've learned about my wife after six months is that she doesn't love it when I tell embarrassing stories. So you must (laughs) have picked up on something that I haven't yet. Yeah, it's called
4: the point of no return. Yeah. like. Mark's wife is pregnant right now. She can't really leave him <laughs> if she does get pissed off about this story because, like, she's pregnant with a newborn and really nobody wants to raise a baby
2: by themselves. She, she's very dependent on me right now, so I'd say that <laughs> I've got a free pass for a little bit maybe. If that was the case, my wife would have left me a long time ago. <laughs> so, so dear, dear, gear, mm-hmm. dear, gear. But actually, before we get to that, let's take this quick second to thank our partners
1: at Sitka Gear and listen to our Sitka story of the day. For this week's Sitka story, we're joined by Darton Harwick, who's going to be telling us about a memorable hunt with his younger brother.
3: Yeah, I picked my little brother up from school on a Friday afternoon, and we headed out to our family farm with my grandparents, and we were out there for a little while and weren't seeing much action, and then it picked up really right before dark, and he had, uh, A little six-pointer come out that he passed because he was really set on shooting an eight-pointer this year. And as soon as we passed that buck just above us, uh, an eight-pointer stepped out. I thought it might have been a little far, but he was real confident in his ability to shoot that far with his crossbow. So I held it steady for him, and he let the arrow fly, and he he hit his mark perfect, and he got his uh, first eight-pointer that night.
1: On Darton's hunt, he was wearing Sika Stratus system. If you'd like to create a Sika story of your own, Or to learn more about Sitka's technical hunting apparel, visit sitkagear.com.
2: 2018 ATA show. I missed it because I was staying home here with the wife. You guys were there. And other than, you know, seeing some friends and connecting with some, you know, some good partners and whatnot, I don't think I missed it. I did not mind not being there.
1: Kick it off, Spencer. Well, you probably felt this way, Dan, but I should have just put on my name tag that said, like, Mark is at home. His wife is pregnant and sick. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you say that? Well, every time I went into a a booth, you know, they'd be like, oh, where's Mark at? You know, I haven't seen Mark around yet. So you (sighs) were missed there wow. by by others and, <laughs> glad uh, to hear that that was that was evident but uh, i i don't know it i'm always most intrigued at ata by when a company makes something that they haven't made before and i don't mean something that's never been made before but i mean like uh when a tree stand company makes a trail camera like hawk did this year or when nap who makes you know stuff that's typically affiliated with arrows came out with a ground blind or garmin uh, you know, electronics comes out with a bow sight, so that's when I'm most intrigued uh, at ATA. And even if they don't, um, you know, reinvent the wheel or make the greatest ground blind or greatest bow sight, it can maybe get other people, uh, you know, other brands churning and, and doing something different as well. So that's always most exciting to me is to see those kind of things. Do you, do you like ATA? Do you
2: like everything about the show and the whole the whole
1: Thing. Uh, this is my third year at ATA, so I still like ATA. I imagine that uh, you know, if you get closer to ten years, well, I can't imagine there's a lot of people that are there that have been coming for ten years or twenty years. Um, so, like it, so it's fun. I, I don't know. It, it's fun oh, for yeah. right now, but maybe not further down the line. What do you think, Dan? Is this? Do you still like it? Man,
4: I tell you what. I just like everybody, right? The first couple of years. You know, I was like, oh, it's a private show, right? So no average Joe off the street can go to it. So I, th- I felt special going to it the first couple of years. And I was just, oh, check it, check this out. And, you know, like, oh, I'm talking I'm talking directly to a the owner of uh, one of the biggest companies. Or, you know, I got to shake hands with someone that I see on TV. And then, like, after a while, man, it all kind of fades away. And you don't even stop, like or care if you see let's say like a big name right and you can definitely tell the people who have like it's their first couple times going to the ata show because you know they're they're in awe of all this stuff and for me man it was just like head down make it to the meetings and try to cover as much of it as i could which i did a horrible job this year but to me i'm now focused more on the you know the products than the I guess you'd say flair of it all.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree those early years I went, it was just like so exciting and new. And like you said, kind of an awe of everything. I think each year I've gotten steadily and steadily a little more, um, Oh, I don't know, jaded or something by it all. Um, you know, like I said, I still, I enjoy getting to connect with friends, see people I haven't seen in a while. There's lots of good stuff and it is neat to see a lot of the new products and stuff. But it's also, I don't know, and we, we talked about this maybe last year, or maybe it, was, maybe it was even the year before. One of the recent ones we did where we talked about ATA in the past year, <clears throat> we kind of talked about how it gets a little overboard. And it's just like everything is so just, I don't know. I'll say it. I'll say it. It's a big dick contest. <laughs> well, yeah, there's some of that. And it's just kind of like just icky. I don't know how else to to put it, but it just feels like everyone's there trying to sell themselves or how amazing this next big technology or thing is, and um, I don't want to beat this dead horse too much because we've already complained about this in the past. Um, But it, I didn't miss it. Like I was watching all of it, and I I just kind of thought to myself, you know what? I don't, I don't miss being around the the business pimping out of hunting. Um, as much. Of course, there's, there's good stuff that happens there. There's important stuff that happens there. There's good people there, but um, it wasn't the end of the world for me not to be there. I didn't mind, you know, just sitting. And I I actually, because of the fact I wasn't there, but I was watching the coverage and stuff, it kind of just gave me like a reason to think about it. And so I just spent a little time like thinking about, you know, what the stuff at ATA kind of represents. It's, you know, the glitz and the glamour and the fame and the the selling power of big bucks and the big new technology and products—they're going to make you a, the best big deer hunter in the world. Um, and then, kind of contrasting that with you know what's what what's the reality of, of why we do what we do and how we do these things. Um, and again, I like new gear. I like all this kind of stuff too, but sometimes it goes overboard and I think ATA just kind of looks like at the macro level, it's kind of the perfect example of the hunting industry overboard product, everything mania. Um, I don't know if any of that makes sense. I'm, I'm kind of rambling incoherently. Um, but Spencer, someday you might, you might get what we're saying. You're so young though. You're so young and naive <laughs> still. <laughs> well, you you need that voice on the podcast now since <laughs> you guys are so mature. Yeah, as evidenced by everything Dan has said today, we are so mature. <laughs> okay, so, so my complaints aside, old, old, fogey, ornery old man complaining about ATA. Um, there was some cool stuff, right? Fill me in on what kind of stuff you guys were into. You mentioned a few things, Spencer. What about you, Dan? At a high level, what did you like about the show?
4: Well, I tell you what: you scrape off that layer of crap off the top, right? That we that we complain about, and you get to know that secondary level that doesn't get the exposure. Like take the big companies like Faradine and Pradco and uh, the Outdoor Group. You know those big conglomerates. You take all that away and you get down to that second level of the people who may not get the, the notoriety or attention that right there is, those are my favorite people because they're there with some real innovation. Um, and not, you know, some of these other companies still have innovation as well. I mean, and, and, You know, there's some, there's some pretty interesting products like, you know, Primos, it's a big, big brand, you know, that, that blind that came out that you can, you can see through.
3: Yeah. But
2: talk, talk about that. That's one that's been getting a lot of type online. In in one second,
4: but that secondary, you know, in some of these smaller booths, you get to, you get to meet um, some people that are, you know, they're out there living it every day. Like the hardcore hunter, and I'll tell you the 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 one I wanted to lead with is there's this company it, it come came out with a pole, all right. It is uh, a, the the pole. name of it. It's a pole, and on the end of the pole is a a star screw head, right? So it comes with this little bracket that uh, has magnets on it, and you put this this star screw head into this contraption. It sticks on and you can put it up in a tree, right? Then there's another bracket that goes onto your trail camera. So you can elevate your trail cameras without having to take a tree stand or a ladder or something into the woods with you, right? It's a collapsible pole, come, collapses down to about, oh, two, two and a half feet, and you can screw it up, comes with magnets. Then you can put that secondary bracket on your um, – uh, on, on your trail camera. And then there's a little attachment there as well that you put the star screw in and you bring it up to the magnet that you screwed into the tree, click it, and then you can position it any way you want. It's like a, uh, kind of a fluid head where you can rotate it right, left, up, down. And it, 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 I look at that application perfect for guys like me who get their trail cameras stolen or a public land guy who doesn't want his uh, crap messed with. Huh.
2: That's pretty cool. So you gotta yeah. you turn it on and adjust all your settings though on the ground, right before you yep. throw it on that pole yep. and then you stick it up there. And it's a neat yep. idea. What was it called?
4: Yep. Okay. So the company I'm looking at my uh, business cards here. It's a secondary product from a company called Crossbow Diffuser. Right. So their their main product is a a contraption you put on a crossbow to help let it down after you, so you don't need to shoot it. Right. Um, and now they came out with this product and it's not really related anyway to crossbows, but if you go to like crossbowdiffuser.com, uh, the guy told me it it should all, all that information should be on there about what I'm talking about. (laughs) Very small company. Right. And, they all these guys did was show people how it worked all weekend long and um i have actually a video of it on the nine finger chronicles instagram page if you want to go check it out so uh scroll through that but that that's one product where it's brand new very small company uh very small you know like i don't know a couple couple dudes out there grinding on public land invented
2: it so i found that i found that really interesting that is cool Are you i you i'm bad about that i when I'm usually at the show, I kind of just pay attention to, like, the big stuff yeah. because I kind of feel like when you go down the little booth aisles, you just don't know what you're going to get. And <laughs> some of it's a little weird. And so oh, I find, yeah. I end up just, like, going to the big stuff because I know, okay, this is going to be important, quote, unquote, important. So I just try to hit, like, the big stuff. And maybe that yeah. that's probably a mistake because then you get these little gems like what you find that are kind of tucked off in the uh, – off in the right. distance, but, uh, interesting. Um, right. do you have a whole list of little nuggets like that that you found in?
4: Well, not, not necessarily. I mean, that, that's one that stuck out, um, big time for me. And it's a product that I'm actually going to follow up on and, and get that guy on, on the nine figure Chronicles podcast to do a full interview. But, I made it a point this year to just walk by that there's and and Spencer, I'm sure you saw it, but there's like two walls that are covered with just really small booths. And it's most of the time they're new companies or companies that don't get the attention that they deserve. And I, I made it a point this year to walk by all of those and focus on, on some of that stuff. And I didn't, you know, I didn't see a ton but uh, I did see that one particular uh, stick out, and dude, I'm I'm gonna follow up on it because I want it.
2: Did Did you see anything that made you laugh? Every year, I feel like there's always a product that you're just like, "What were they thinking?" <laughs> Was there anything like that this year?
4: Dude, I think my mind has become so good at blocking it out that you know I look at it, I say gimmick, and I walk away, and I, like I don't even
1: absorb it. Right. Right. I don't know you Spencer did you see anything like that uh, I'm, I'm kind of starting to get that way and more these last couple years with broadheads um, oh, oh yeah. I, I feel like that you know with a lot of the stuff in the artist, archery industry we're not making big strides anymore as far as things getting better and that's one of them that feels like it's gotten really stagnant And so now it's become a lot of gimmicky stuff like just the biggest slicing thing that you can put on there that looks like it came out of a you know a kitchen drawer uh, steak knife and it, it's it's getting to be that way. That's the only thing that I can recall that I'm like, oh my god, someone's gonna buy that and someone's gonna yeah. sell that. Uh, but that way with a lot of broadheads anymore. Yeah. Okay. So there is a new broadhead out, right?
4: It's called Thorn Archery.
1: Thorn. And I, I ran into th- like every ro- every
4: rose has a thorn kind of thing. Right. Yep. Absolutely. So check this out. It's kind of like a a slip can a slip cam system, but it has a fully, the, the two blades are fully enclosed in the housing. Um, a, a couple years ago, there was a company called, uh, what was it called? What was it called? Um, Epic, Epic broadheads. Yeah, I remember it had, that. yep. Three blades. This is much smaller and literally, I mean, it's, it, it is a small broadhead, but when you pop that, there's like a trigger mechanism where the uh, the ferrule goes down into the shaft, and then it kicks out two little um, things that uh, two little pieces of metal, which is the top of the blade, and it slip cams them out. And dude, I'm telling you right now, that looks that's that's pretty innovative uh, because there is. Let's see, NAP tried to do it, but something happened, and that uh, that broadhead didn't make it to uh i guess mass production and it didn't make it to the the stores this one however i mean the guys the guy i talked to said it i mean they're gonna be ready for this fall so uh thorn archery is the name of the company
2: hmm. what did you shoot this past year dan i shot wasp okay fixed blade then
4: yep fixed blade Wasp. they i mean <laughs> wasp has uh mechanicals as well but i I'm kind of moving away to from mechanicals to go to fixed blade meat because, you know, certain states, Idaho being one of them, that when we hunted, I didn't want to bounce around between mechanicals and fixed blades just because I'm hunting a different state. So I figured, hey, I'm just gonna stick with uh, w- with fixed blades.
2: I hear you. What do
4: you shoot, For a while, Spencer? Anyway.
1: Uh, I have, since I've gotten really into archery, I've made it a point to switch every year. So for the last five years, I've shot different broadheads. Um, this year, I landed on NAP Spitfire Max, and they're, they're pretty popular. And yeah. I killed a number of different things with them, and I, I love yeah, them. Yeah, you don't need um, to,
2: you don't need to regale us with that whole litany <laughs> of things that, you've, that you killed again this year. Look I how look how we giant this year. Look how he just slipped that in there. He's okay. like, Oh yeah, I've used all these. Broad- I killed many many things with it this year.
1: <laughs> well, we got about an hour of talking left, so I figured I'd get out of the way early. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so continue. <laughs> Uh, so I, I switch broadheads uh, every year, and so I've shot uh, a number of different things. And I, I really enjoyed the Spitfire Max, but I'll try something different again for
2: 2018.
1: Cool. Keep keep
2: me posted on that, because I've, I've kind of bounced around a little bit. I went I, I shot mechanical for years, and then a couple years ago I switched to fixed blade, shot that for two years, and then I switched back to a mechanical. I'm shooting uh, the hypodermic rage now, for whitetails at least. Um I can't speak to its effectiveness this year at all because I did not kill a single animal with my bow, um, much to my chagrin. So um,
1: we'll see how things go next year. But um, yeah, And I'm not jumping around because like, I'm like, oh, this is a terrible broadhead. That's just one of the most fascinating parts of the setup to me is the broadhead. And so that's why I enjoy um, switching it up every year and, and seeing how different broadheads perform.
2: So at what point, though, are you going to, like, how many do you need to test until you can look back at... your history and say, okay, of these seven years or five years or 10 years worth of broadheads I've tried, now I know that X is the right one. Like, at what point are you going to make a decision and, and switch to the most effective?
1: Uh, I don't know. These these last couple of years, I've really, really enjoyed what I've used. Spitfire Max, and then I used NAP Sling Blades last year. Um, and I, I've only had one in, like, these five years that I really disliked. I, I won't go into what it was. But uh, maybe if I have another bad experience with something that I, I know I don't like, I'll jump back to something I know I, I really enjoy. But until then, I'll, I'll probably just keep switching.
4: Dude, time out. You don't, you don't have to tell if you don't want to, but... <laughs> part of an accurate, you know, like part, the, everybody right now listening is going, man, what product is that? Because I want to, like, I would want to know what you had a bad experience with and what that experience was.
2: I think that's a fair point. And just realize that this company will never talk to you in the future, Spencer. And, no, not just kidding. No, I mean, I think it's fair, right? Companies sometimes make mistakes. They have a dud. They fix it. It's good to know.
1: Yeah, well, one one reason I don't enjoy, like, trashing something like that is because it's such a small sample size. Like, one year, you know, one animal or shooting it, you know, a couple dozen times. But that was a a Ramcat. Um, I was really intrigued by the idea of that uh, if it goes into something and it can't get a pass through, that it'll rip on the way back out as well. Um, But I didn't love... The blade system it seemed like they were always different levels of tightness as far as one could be kind of loose or one was uh, very stiff um it didn't seem like it left great exit or, or entrances on it um well i guess it cut as you would imagine uh a fixed blade would it wasn't leaving like huge gaping holes like a mechanical um but that was one i just realized like you know this is one i'd probably never shoot again I, I didn't love it if i'm gonna uh go with a fixed blade i would just go with something else if i want something similar to this i would just go to a mechanical so that was why uh a ramcat is just something that i i don't have interest in anymore so so you just mentioned
2: something that cued something in my head that i've been meaning to mention in the podcast so related to broadheads um Something I just realized that I've heard a lot of people also have not realized in the past was with the, with the new Rage broadheads, right, these mechanical broadheads, the way that the blades are held in place is with this collar. There's a little black plastic collar that is in between the, the, uh, the insert and the broadhead when you screw it in. And the way it works is that when the arrow hits your target, your deer, Blows through that collar and releases the um, the pressure on the air on the blades, pushes that collar, breaks it open, and then expands. Now on that little black collar. Have either either one of you guys seen this? Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: No. No?
2: No. Okay, no. well, for anybody out there who shoots a rage broadhead, which is probably a decent number of you, this is your your public service announcement really quick. On that black plastic collar, there are little notches in it. There are these little slits in the little plastic collar. And A lot of people, from what I've heard, I've seen this in forums and videos and stuff, people have been saying this is not just me, these little slits, they assume that you're supposed to, when you tighten down the broadhead onto this collar, the way it looks is that you should fit the bottoms of the two blades into these little slits in the collar, and that's what I've done. Well, come to find out, that's the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do, and that has resulted in a lot of failed openings of the blades. Because actually what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to line up the solid part of the collar with the bottom of the blade. So if you shoot Rage, don't line up the blades with the slits in the collar. Line up the blades with the solid piece. Random, but I just had to make sure I mentioned it because I would have been doing it the wrong way if someone hadn't told me. Um, or if I had actually shot something this year, I would have found out the wrong way. But uh, So there's that. So,
4: So I had a good conversation with someone... Uh, A while back, it wasn't at the ATA show, but about manufacturing failures, right? You know, you got all these people saying, well, my broadhead didn't open. My broadhead didn't open. Well, let's say the failure rate is 2%, right? 2% of all of their broadheads don't open. And when you think about it, 2% isn't a, or not necessarily a rage, but any broadhead, 2% isn't enough for a company to probably get worried about. However, 2% of 2 million is 40,000, Yeah. right? So 40,000 broadheads may not have malfunctioned. And that is why you hear like a company like rage where they're selling way more broadheads than everybody else. So their 2% failure is going to be 40,000 people. And if all 40,000 people bitch and complain, that's a, you know, that's for us, you're going to hear that, right? You're going to see that Uh, and, and not necessarily uh, to defend rage, but some of the bigger companies who sell a lot more product, even if 2%, I mean, that's just yeah. You I just mean, you just that, you're gonna hear yeah, about it a
2: lot more absolutely. than the than the broadhead company that sells a thousand packs a year versus yeah. a company that sells fifty thousand packs or whatever. That's yeah. a, That's a fair point. And I'll never I'll never shoot a Rage. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's certainly your choice. there's you know, Rage is one of those products that that gets a lot of opinions on both sides of the coin. Yeah, there's a lot of people that know a whole hell of a lot more than I do that shoot them like super good smart, well-thought-through archery guys. That Harder than us is what you're saying. Way smarter than us. Yeah. But at the same time, there's people way smarter than us that swear by never shooting them. So yeah. who knows? What about that Primo's ground blind, Dan? That, I saw videos of that. That actually looked like a kind of new, interesting idea.
4: I'm telling you what, there's a good chance I buy that ground blind for one reason, and that is because I want to take my daughter turkey hunting this spring and I can do it and we can see everything around me us 360 degrees with the blind shut and I don't have to worry about being seen. Well okay so explain that how does that work? Okay so it's a it's a fabric mesh that allows you or if you're standing outside of the blind, you know, let's say you're 10, 20 feet away. You're looking at it. It looks like everything's up. You know, you can't see into the blind. But the moment you step into the blind, you c- the fabric is re- somehow reversible. So I shouldn't say that. It, imagine a two-way mirror at a police office or, you know, at a, a police station.
2: That sounds you like know, you're people- familiar with that kind of pl- location. Yeah, anyway, um- <laughs> anyway. <laughs> But that's what it is, man. You can see
4: out of this fabric, and you can see 360 degrees all the way
2: around you. Like, and it r- is like it really, is awesome. So you really, you really can't see into it. Like if I'm a if I'm a deer standing at 10 yards, I really can't see into you. See into that?
4: Nope. Dude, and you would have to have some kind of light facing directly behind you. And shining through to make some kind of shadow but i know spencer did you see that uh
1: yeah that that was the biggest complaint that i heard about it was that well you know the light is going to illuminate everything and well the the top of the ground blind uh is not that mesh material so if it's midday or something that's not a problem um and, and you know where the sun is rising or setting every hunt. It's not going to be like, oh, my God, over there tonight it's it's setting. And so yeah. you, you know, like, ahead of time how you need to use this ground blind to your advantage. So I, I don't think that's a big deal as people were making it. Um, no. And it, as far as something, seeing you through the mesh, if you treat it like it's still kind of a ground blind, you know, as long as you're not wearing, like, doing jumping jacks, you'd be fine. Yeah.
3: Hmm.
1: Yeah.
4: It's not a... I mean it's it's I'm I'm a I'm critical when it comes to equipment and this is something that I really think would be would be a worthwhile investment especially for someone who has kids.
2: Okay, so are there any other products that either one of you actually think you're going to buy this year that you saw at the show? Say that uh,
4: again. Am I what?
2: I said are there any other products that either one of you saw at the show this year that you actually think you're going to buy? Because you just said, Dan, that you might buy that one. You've also said that you might buy that uh, pole trail camera thing. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Are there any other products that you actually think you'll spend your own money on this year? Uh,
1: I guess either one of
2: you, whoever yells first.
1: Before that, let's go back to the ground blind. The biggest problem that I, besides the light thing that a lot of people I think had with with it was that it was five hundred dollars, and so mm. that's an expensive ground blind that could get destroyed by a bear or whipped into a fence or something like that. So mm. uh, that needs to be stressed as well that this isn't uh, you know a ground blind that you can just go buy on a whim for for one hundred and fifty dollars and right. Uh, So, but as far as things that I think I would buy, I was uh, really impressed by what Havalon did this year. They made a knife that has like six blade options, I think, um, that go from everything like a big fillet knife uh, down to like a smaller bladed knife that you would use to gut a deer and and with a lot of options in between. And it was like $100 and it, it could literally be the last knife that you ever need to get, just because it was so versatile. So that's something that i could seriously consider buying. So with and
2: so for people that aren't familiar with Havilon knives, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know the, the original Havilon was like one of the original replaceable blade knives, where you can it's basically a scalpel blade that you could pop off and put a brand new scalpel blade on, so you always have this absolutely razor sharp knife. And so if I saw that video you posted, right, Spencer. Havilon's most recent knife now has replaceable blades as well, but now it's not just the small scalpel. Now they've got different sizes, different strengths, so you could use this for different applications. Is that right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And if you're somebody like me, who's really poor at keeping knives sharp, uh, then this is perfect, uh, because that just won't be a problem. You'll always have another blade you can change into. Or if you do a number of different things outdoors, like come springtime, if you're going to be uh, fishing and Turkey hunting uh, and things like that, camping, this is a great knife to have. It cleans out easy. And like I said, it's so unique that you can do a diverse number of things with it. Yeah.
2: I also saw that this year um, it also has a push button to, to pop off the blade When in the past, you had to kind of pry it off. It was kind of funky how the past Havilons were. Um, I think that Garmin or some other company started using this push-button
1: thing, so it seems like Havilon has taken that too. Is that Did you see that? Yeah, the the push-button, I believe, is new for them. In the past, uh, like you said, you needed pliers to get the other blade off. Um, So that could be something that uh, I'm overlooking, that the push-button maybe isn't uh, the best way to do it, but as far as i can see you you're not going to lose a limb you're yeah missing. no
2: i i like the push button that makes it uh easier to get those on and on my my worry with the old ones and i had i have one of the old ones and i like it a lot still um but i always worried like you're in the middle of butchering a deer or quartering an elk the blade dulls <clears throat> you got to get the new one on and your fingers are all bloody and slippery and you're you're messing around trying to get this blade off and if one of your fingers slips and hits that blade I mean, they are so sharp. Um, The push-button idea seems to be a safer way to get those blades off and on, so I I like that.
1: Yeah, if if I had to summarize ATA with just my favorite product in general, that would be it for sure. Nice. Anything else you guys are going to
2: buy before we dive into other things? You know,
4: not necessarily buy, but there is a – this year, I don't know about you, Spencer – and maybe this is, I'm transitioning for you, and I don't mean to, Mark, but the, the uh, there is a lot of ozone companies that have showed up. Oh, yeah. This year, there was a ton of scent companies that have popped up, whether that is, you know, like attractants or, um, you know, cover spray. And I noticed that compared to last year, there were a lot less bow manufacturers there.
2: Really? Yes. Huh. Yep. Were there any of the big ones not there? Um,
4: no. Like all the big ones are there. Like so, Matthews PSC. Uh, oh geez, why can't? Why am I only thinking of two right now? But Elite was there. Uh, Martin. They're going through a rebranding. There, uh, they've been uh, sold and then purchased. So they were there. Uh, Gearhead was there. Um, Botech was there. Uh, Hoyt was there, you know, so all the big names were there, but the the second and third tier archery, uh, companies were not, uh, there last year. Cause I think, uh, last year, my buddy Ryan, I had him go and shoot a lot of, you know, as many bows as he could pos- possibly shoot compound bows as he could shoot. And it took him almost the entire three days to do that this year. He, it took him like a day and a half. So, there, he He shot maybe twenty less bows this year, and that's not twenty less companies but twenty less bows so um he he was telling me man there's there's hardly any there's hardly any like newer companies or some of the smaller ones from last year that either probably had to fold because there's two million less hunters. Uh, over the course of the past year so you know that has to translate into loss of some kind of industry
2: yeah i wonder what that's about if it's if it's that or if it's just just the the might of the big companies that just are squashing (laughs) that just because there's i don't know it's a good question i don't know
1: um do you have an answer spencer Uh, So last year, I did a big ATA review for North American Deer Hunter magazine, and one of the things was that I pulled some quotes um, from some of the ATA organizers, and they had talked about in the last five years, or even over the last 10 years, uh, that the fastest growing thing at their event has been crossbows. And so maybe that's it, that um, the space that would normally be bought up by a bow company is now being bought up by crossbow companies instead. Nope. So, or or it could be the same way for hunters that people who were hunting with bows five years ago are now crossbow hunters. So I, I definitely have an effect on it.
2: Did you guys see a lot of crossbows at the show? Is that a big thing this year?
1: I mean, yeah, it's noticeable. Yeah. Yeah. They're there, but I, uh, I mean, I don't have any crossbow experience. So that's something that, you know, usually just walk right past and, and don't notice. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't have a good answer about uh, any new crossbow development or anything like that. Yeah. So the
2: big thing that I saw so much about from a distance seeing online, the thing that everyone seemed to be talking about was this new site made by Garmin. I think it's called the Zero X E R O. I believe I, I remember it being, and the, this site for whatever reason got me thinking about the age-old question that we have debated here a lot in the past, especially me and Dan, which is when it comes to technology and hunting, when is it too much? Like, where do you draw the line? Um, and I don't know why this made me think that. And I'm not saying that I think that's the case with this archery set or not. I don't know. Um, but I'm gonna explain this site, and then I'm gonna get you guys' thoughts on it. What what you thought about it, what people were saying about. It. So, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but the basic gist of this from the little product video I saw and from people posting on it is that this is a site just like any other site that attaches to your bow, but it has a built in range finder in it. So you draw back your bow, you point your sight at a deer and you press a little button on your um, riser and it ranges that deer and it shows you the range right there on your, on your site says, excuse me, it says 32 yards. But then different than, you know, any other rest where you would range it. And then you see it's 32 yards and you'd find your 30 yard pin and you put the 30 yard pin on the deer. This site ranges it and then it uses LED like a it creates a little LED light where your rest or excuse me, where a sight pin usually would be that's set exactly for that range. So it creates a, it creates a pin out of an LED light set right where you need to aim. So you don't even really need to think about where you aim. You just draw back, click the button, and it puts a pin where you need to aim at. That is the gist of this new sight. Did I describe that accurately first off? And what were your thoughts? What what were you hearing from people that actually saw it, looked at it? Uh, Dan, what did you think first?
4: Oh man, I I held it. I played around with it. It's unique. It's awesome. Uh, It's $1,000. It's heavy. Uh, I played around with it and instantly realized that as hunters, we have to deal with imperfect shots. And this, from what I gathered, this device that's on your bow has to be held. You have to be straight. You know, you have to be held still. You have to be, I mean, it's not like, I'll, I'll just cut to the, to the chase here. In the moment of truth, you're trying to do this with maybe a little torque in your wrist or, you are you know, you're, a deer's moving left and right, left and right. I, I felt like that machine couldn't keep up with how fast everything goes down. And therefore, I don't think it has. I, I I personally don't think I would ever use it because in the moment of truth, after you've maybe took a rangefinder and ranged uh, some trees, or you know you ranged a trail uh, beforehand, and then you're trying to do, you know, pull back, hit the button, try to get everything lined up. You're looking whether you're looking through a peep or not. And this, this button is jumping around on this digital screen, uh, not button, but the, uh, this dot where you're supposed to aim the pin, so to speak. And then if there's a little torque in your wrist, then there's this little circle with these red arrows pointing to it saying that, okay, now you're centered. So now instead of thinking time to shoot, you're actually – your brain is now having to think of one, possibly two or three more things before you can uh, pull the trigger and shoot. So it's a hard pass for
2: me, man. Playing devil's advocate though, if you didn't have that, <clears throat> if you had a regular sight, don't you – in that same moment, don't you also need to pull up your range with one hand, range the deer, figure out what range is he at, now find the proper pin – on your on your sight, line that up. Now you still need to make sure you're not torquing your bow. You still need to make sure you're holding it properly and straight. Because if you don't do those things, your arrow's not going to go where you're aiming, anyways. Um, so, aren't there still the same kind of variables in a in a regular shot process too?
4: Yeah, you're you're right. Except on the digital screen, there's one dot. There's no reference point for anything else. So if if that technology, you know, you range and then that deer takes a quartering away or comes quartering into you and that, and then you have to try to hit that button again. When I know that if a deer takes, you know, four steps toward me, I can, I can mentally play around with that a little bit. I just, I just feel that in the moment of truth. And if for anybody who may get a little excited and have buck fever, it's just, I don't know, man, it's almost too much technology
1: yeah what do you think spencer uh <clears throat> yeah kind of holding it and messing around with it, it it felt like a toy and i think that you know somebody could treat it as so or that's how it should be treated this is something you take to the range and see if you can you know hit a 3d target at 120 yards or, or something like that but for real world hunting um uh, no I, I wouldn't be interested in uh i wouldn't be mad either if i was like if i knew the neighbor was using one i would be like that son of a bitch is cheating <laughs> um but I, I would have a fear that this could lead people to taking shots that they're not capable of that most people aren't capable of uh if you went animal punting and all of a sudden you have something that allows you to take a shot at 95 yards or, or something like that and that's a problem
2: and you're saying that's because like all you gotta do is aim at it Hit the button and it says, "Okay, here's exactly where you need to aim for 95 yards." Right?
1: Yeah. All All of a sudden, you have a 95 yard pin, or you have yeah. a 110 yard pin. I, yeah. I think that's problematic, um, but I, I don't know how much this is going to change the industry. That it's been talked about like that, but I don't think it's going to have a big impact at the end of the day. Yeah, it's an interesting
2: point. So, did you does this at all make you guys ask that question too? Like, just have we gone too far? I mean, and you could, you could say, I mean, you could say this about a whole lot of things. You can say this about certain things I use. Um, yeah, like, I don't know. We've, we've talked about this in the past and I feel like we all need to draw a line in the sand for ourselves in different places. Um, but I don't know. For some reason I'm not knocking the company or whatever. It's a, it's an innovative, interesting idea. Um, but I felt the same way I felt, even though I didn't actually get to try to use it, I just felt like, eh, I don't, I don't like that. I don't, I don't, all right. For me, it wouldn't feel like something I'd feel comfortable using. just felt like crossing some kind of threshold for me, some intangible threshold. I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, and maybe it's hypocritical to say that there's some threshold here for me with uh, this digital site, but then I use something like Ozonics that blows this chemical into the air that can help me not be um, scented by as many deer. Um, I don't know. I mean, this whole idea... This whole seeing this product and then watching ATA from afar this year just got me thinking about that question a little more this year, like how far is too far? When are we right. kind of losing the the big? When are we losing the moral of the story? Um, Do did, did you, either you guys went, ever feel that way at all? I, I did, except,
4: and you know what? If if that if that product was cheaper for some, like you know a thousand dollars, man, a thousand dollars. So when I, when something costs a thousand dollars, it has to, it has to function at a very high level for me. Right. And just playing around with it. When I was hitting that button, pointing it, trying to be as straight as possible. uh, It was right next to the Reinhardt target um, booth. So I was ranging it and I was getting like 10 yards, 15 y- yards, you know, like random yardage, and I knew it was further than 10 yards away, so i I wasn't sold on it instantly. That tells me that the technology is just not there yet for it to be this is this is something that's going to be f- like first to market, right There's other rangefinder sites on the market, and they they're they're just it's not. At the technology isn't where it needs to be right now for me to be sold on it in the future, maybe. But right now, I don't think that Garmin uh, that Garmin product is all that's
2: uh, made up to be, man. I think it's I think it's it's cool to see a company taking a risk and trying something new, like really pretty different. I mean, that's cool. I mean, sometimes we complain about how it feels like everything we see coming out is just this tiny little iteration. Pretty much the same thing as last year, but now they're saying it's the best new thing since sliced bread. So I, don't, I you know, you got to kind of give them credit for trying something different. That's cool. Um, oh yeah,
4: I mean that's what keeps the industry alive, yeah. right?
2: Yeah. So there's something to be said for that. But uh, is there any is there any product out there right now, guys, that makes you feel that like ick feeling? Like maybe this is too far when it comes to this technology question that I'm kind of pondering right now. just me. I don't know, man. I mean what
4: about in prob- you know, ozonics and how I use ozone is as as far as I will go as probably as far as uh, like electronics is concerned, you know, if a company came out with a with an invisible cloak, you know, it's like a it's something that you throw over top of yourself, hit a button and animals see right through you or i don't know for me hunting is a chess game right so there is the possibility of failure um and i you know if ozonics worked so well that like it it i don't know it was a hundred percent effective within a 40 yard range let's say that might change my that might change my my feelings about it but it's not and a majority of the products that I use, you uh, you still have to use your brain, yep. and you still have to, I guess, know how to hunt in it, s- somewhat shape or form. You know funny. what I
2: mean? Yeah, and it's funny you say that because I kind of feel the same way. Like How ironic and backwards is it that the qualifying criteria we're looking at to, to determine whether or not we want to use a product like Ozonics is – make sure it doesn't work a hundred percent of the time, <laughs> as long as it doesn't work all the time I'm in, <laughs> right. but I kind now of agree I, with you a little bit on that. Like I feel like if it was something that took away the challenge and the, the, the fair chase element of it. And if it was easy, then I think I would have a serious concern with it. Um, I still screw up so much of the time and get, you know, I, I make so many mistakes and fail so often that it's it's very clear for anyone watching what I'm doing that I don't have too much technology. <laughs> um, but
1: but I think that's an interesting point. What were
2: you going to say, though, Spencer?
1: I, I just it's kind of the same thing Dan said, that I feel like hunting with a vertical bow is already... Um, you know, so difficult that I don't think there's anything on the market that makes it way, way easier at this point. And uh, this site, some people might think that, but that that's really not the case. This doesn't make it like, uh, you know, you're guaranteed to heart shot something at 60 yards. So uh, I I don't think we have any products like that, that yet that really make you rethink uh, what hunting with a compound bow is.
3: Mm
4: -hmm. I mean, if you want to go take it uh, a step further and, think of a product that is so effective that it's almost you're guaranteed to kill a deer or or get in the general area of a deer why not go hunt a high fence operation All right you know what i mean there's yeah. t- there's there's not really a difference there
2: yeah but but the, but yeah yeah you get you could look at anything though and say like everyone's going to draw their line somewhere different. So like you and I might say, well, we're going to use a compound bow and we can kill something out to 40 yards or whatever it might be. Um, that seems like a fair and reasonable use of archery equipment or something like that. And then we might see someone else buy one of these new fancy crossbows that even now is being advertised as being able to kill at a hundred yards or something with an arrow. Um, Someone might think that's okay for them. Um, I don't know. There's, just, there's all sorts of things like that that make me wonder. There's things like when it comes to long-range shooting with rifles even, shooting deer at 1,500 yards and crazy stuff like that. Um, the, what about trail cameras that not only can send you stuff on your cell phone right away, but how long until they live stream? your tree stands. Oh, that's coming sooner than we think, I bet. Oh, for sure. Oh yeah. So the technology's already there. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I feel like we're going to be looking at this question more and more going forward. Cause already we have, and people have been looking at this question forever, right? I mean, right. 30 years ago, there were guys that looked at bows with wheels on them and said, that's way too much technology. You're taking away the essence of the hunt. It's unfair to have this fancy contraption. Um, And then when crossbows came out, same thing. And when trail cameras first came out, maybe people felt the same way. So I've got no answers on it. Um,
4: I'm going to tell you what I feel real quick. And that is Boone and Crockett, I think it was last year or the year before, made a statement about long-range shooting. Yep. And look for some of these companies to step in and say, if you use this – kind of contraption while you're hunting, it will not go in our record books. Okay. The, the, the whitetail industry today thrives off of inches and being able to claim that you've killed a giant deer. Okay. If that deer can't be entered into a record book because you used a product, I don't think that, I think there, there is Technology will halt at some point. If one of these companies or one of these organizations say, okay, well, you used a hyper-thruster aero, whatever, uh, you know, it has propellant. It's a propelled, It has a rocket engine in it or whatever. You, that doesn't count.
2: I, I think that's an interesting point. And if we're talking about ironies, how ironic would it be that the what I think is a misguided obsession with antlers and obsession over the, the just killing the biggest buck in the world all the time. Right. That, that craze that we, you know, sometimes we worry can get to be too much. How funny is it that if that craze to be able to get the highest scoring buck results in putting some type of hamper on technology use, like it's like kind of two sides of the same coin stopping the progress of the other.
4: Well, I mean, it's 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 happening right now. You know, we have these conversations with each other like, uh, hey, look at this guy. He shot a 300-inch two-year-old at a high-fence operation. No one gives a shit about it because it's a high-fence operation. But if someone, if Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett says, hey, man, you're not allowed to use X product anymore, and someone shoots a deer using X product, look I I have this feeling look for the same type of reaction from a majority of the hunters.
2: Yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's I think it's fair for there to be debate and conversation around this yeah. issue and like people have to draw lines in the sand somewhere. I mean there there's like right there's a fine balancing act that has to be played here between setting some kind of useful community guidelines and, and regulations within our own hunting community to make sure that we're going about things the right way, to make sure that we're carrying on this lifestyle in, in a fair, chase, respectable, reasonable manner. But at the same time, though, people always like to talk about, well, you shouldn't be criticizing other people for doing things the way they want to do it. If it's legal, they should be able to do it. If not, you know, you're you're dividing you're dividing us um
4: right and i have no problem if people want to do that i have no problem if people want to hunt high fence you know really? i don't even i mean I, I i don't care if that's what you're into that's what you're into man it's legal you can go and buy a hunt i don't care Blech. you know we, we can get into a whole bunch you know that's a whole different can of <laughs> yes worms, that's man. another episode i'm never gonna do it it's not for me is it for some people maybe maybe is it harmless? Maybe
2: not. Right? And I think that's where you draw the line. That's where I draw the line. When it, I can't remember who used this analogy. I, I'm going to steal it from whoever said it. Apologies. But someone told me the analogy that, you know, they say that you shouldn't be rocking the boat. Every, we're all in the same boat together. You shouldn't be criticizing us. You shouldn't be, you know, cutting down other people in the same boat with you. But if you're poking holes in the boat with the stupid stuff you're doing or the, the bad decisions you're making. If you're poking holes in the boat and you're going to sink the whole ship, then yeah, throw I'm going to rock overboard. the boat and throw you overboard. Um, oh, someone's okay. got to, someone's got to stand up for things sometimes. And if we don't, the whole thing is going to go down. So that's why in some cases, like for me, there's a lot of concerns around high fence operations because that's a shipwrecker, I think. Um, yeah. And maybe there's some products or some uses of products that, that someday might get to that point too. like, I think one thing, for example, dr- drones right off the gate, drone states have been banning the use of drones in relation to hunting, because I think people saw that could be, you know, a lot of abuse ways that you could use that and, and immediately lose that fair chase element in certain ways. I think there's going to be other technologies that are going to keep on popping up like that. Um, and every year when ATA shows up on the calendar, it just makes me think about this again. Um, and like I said, there's no real concrete answers here to any of these things. But I do think it's a worthwhile exercise for all of us to just be thinking about this, to be kind of looking at the stuff we use, the choices we make as far as gear and technology and hunting tactics even. And just thinking through, you know, why are we using this stuff? Is this still preserving the, I don't know if I want to say the essence or like the the sanctity maybe of what we're doing? Um, yeah. I don't know. Spencer, can you can you provide any clarity or should we move on? I'm ready to get back to gear. <laughs> Spencer always I feel like he always me and Dan just ramble on. Do you listen in the past Spencer when you've listened to the podcast before you were, you know, part of the team here and doing stuff? Did you listen to us in the past and just, like, want to shoot yourself in the head every time me and Dan would ramble at the beginning for 30 minutes? Because all the time when we do rut radio, you're always throwing in little jabs about how boring me and Dan are when we ramble. <laughs> Is that, was that just painful for you? I'm ready to get back to gear. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Touche. <God. laughs> um, any other ATA products that we need to talk about before we review some 2017 gear? But actually, before we move on, let's take a quick second to thank our partners at Whitetail Properties. This week with
1: Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Andrew Schultz, a land specialist out of Illinois. And Andrew is going to be telling us about what to look for when buying a piece of ground with intentions of putting in a small pond.
3: Yeah, it's really attainable. And there's a lot of people that look to do that when they're searching for a piece of ground or the right piece of ground. And a large part of that is what are you intending to use the pond for? I mean, is this pond going to be something that you can fish with your kids or grandkids um, when you come out to visit the property? Or is this pond going to be the pond that your dream home overlooks when you're building on this property? So first identifying what it is that you're putting the pond in for. Um, So once you've done that, location is everything. Obviously, if the pond serves a purpose for wildlife, you want it in the best location to do so uh, where soil is also going to be relevant depth is going to be relevant. Drainage is another thing that's relevant. So um, once you've determined that uh, a property is the right one for you, you know, you've got lots of options as it relates to putting in a pond, Um, just do your homework ahead of time and figuring out what you want to use it for, um, you know, the best purpose, and then how to go about achieving your goals.
1: If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Andrew currently has listed for sale, Visit whitetailproperties.com backslash Schultz. That's S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. Dude,
4: I feel like I'm not covering the ATA properly if I talk about the fashion, right? (laughs) This year, last year was was bedazzled. It was like last year was like fancy jeans, we call them, bedazzled jeans. Not so much this year, right? This year was flannels and flat brim hats.
2: Uh, oh, well they, brim. so everyone's trying to copy me then. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cause that might have been what I would have shown up on. <laughs> hey dude, no, no, I
4: even have a picture of, in a flannel.
2: That's good. It's a good look. I yeah. can't, I can't really pull off the flat bill, but I do live in flannels. So yeah. interesting and observation.
4: Hand, and hand sanitizer.
2: Hand sanitizer?
4: Yeah lots of hand sanitizer dude influenza's going around oh bad flu! everybody was like juicing up slathering yeah. up did
2: you get sick anyone get sick i'm I was i already had the flu man oh
1: so you, you brought it maybe
2: <laughs> spencer uh, <I'm, laughs> any final good, thoughts but-
1: Shot, shot is way bigger than this. I don't know if anyone's ever been to Shot than that, but that's like this times three. I mean, literally this times three. And so they always talk about the shot show flu there that you come home and uh, just shook too many hands and did too many other gross stuff, drank too many beers that you just get sick. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a real thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. That was one thing I didn't miss was just like I'm too old to do the ata thing now where you go out every night for three or four nights straight and then you're up early in the morning going all day i was thinking about that too i was like oh man thank goodness i'm not doing that because i would just wreck myself and uh it's sad to think that at 30 i think i'm too old (laughs) but it's true nobody
1: nobody warned me that the bar's there open till 3 a.m so Mm. it was uh (laughs) that was much rougher on me than I than I went in and expecting. Do you remember
2: those days, Dan, when you and me were young and wild, and we we closed down the bars in Louisville and those other cities?
4: Yeah, man, uh, that was fun, but I don't miss them. Like Friday night, or no, wait, the first night I was in bed by or back in the hotel by nine thirty. The second night it was like eleven, and the last night was the latest, and I was out past midnight, but before twelve thirty. It doesn't matter because I was drinking ice water at the bar. So <laughs> I mean it's like those days are over, man.
2: How times change. How times change. So alright. Well, I do appreciate you guys uh covering ATA for us and filming me in on stuff. Um, I'll be back next year, probably, I'm sure. So it wasn't it wasn't bad though to just chill out this year and, and watch from the sidelines. But what I can talk about is uh gear that we use this year. Um, I've been meaning to do this for a while cause we get so many gear questions, um, to just walk through some of the different things that I use and that you guys use, um, maybe point out a few favorites or a few different new things we tried. Um, so I've got no good chronological or organized way of doing this. So I'm thinking that we just shout out things. Whoever yells first can get the floor and we can talk about something that we like. Um, And then we'll just kind of see where the conversation takes us. But I want to point out a product to lead this off that I got sent to me to try this year. And I will never not use this product again. As much as I can possibly make sure I will have this product with me in the future. And that is a Hawk screw-in gear holder thingamabobber. You guys know what I'm talking about. The little things that you screw in to hold your bow or something in the tree or to hang your binoculars or a grunt tube or something off of. And you used to buy these ones that cost like a dollar. You get them at Walmart. They're brown, rubber brown. And what would drive me nuts is that maybe one out of every three of those would have like a blunted tip like it wouldn't be a good enough sharp tip so you can never get that son of a gun to drive into the tree and bite get the threads wouldn't bite and so i'd sit there with certain types of trees you cannot get this stupid thing in the tree especially if like you had to reach around the tree with maybe your left arm and be in an awkward position you couldn't i don't know maybe this is just me but i've had this where i get so frustrated trying to screw these stupid things in i got this one from hawk i don't know how much it costs maybe five bucks it's a little it's more expensive but it's got a really great pointy tip to it it's got good threads and this thing drills into any tree i throw at it the first time i need it and it just brought me joy every time i had to screw in a bow holder i smile i was like god this is so much less inconvenient than the old one so that's my product of the year right there the little screw-in bow holder doohickey from hawk anyone who used one of those nope I'm that guy who spends 10 bucks for about 44
4: hangers, and uh, I lose them all by the uh, end of the year. But real quick, go to – and this is, I, I have no affiliation with this company at all. My buddy Ben showed me this bow hanger system at the ATA show. It's called Morph Pro. Morph, That's all I'm going to say. Morph Pro. Morph Pro Bow Hanger System, and it's by Outright outrighthunt.com. Well, what is so it? After, it's a bow-hanging system. You screw these things into the tree, and then it's like a, you know, on uh, uh, airlines where they have that uh, connector. It's like a slip connector. You pull the top part off, and then you can put it back on. It has a male and female end, and then it has this system that you can connect to it. Dude, it's it's pretty badass.
2: I don't know if I really followed your description, but. That's why I say. <laughs> <let's>, <laughs> just look it let's up. us just.
4: Guys need to go look it up
2: and we can move on. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs>
4: it's a bow hanger system. It's there a you bow go. hanger system.
2: All right. Very good. Um, so two bow hanger system recommendations there. Um, speaking of things that you put on a tree real quick, another thing I tried this year for the first time, um, was the fourth arrow camera arm. A lot of guys have been talking about this new camera arm for guys that film their own hunts or who film other people's hunts. Um, so for the longest time I used an old muddy camera arm this year I tried out the fourth arrow Um, I didn't use the carbon model Um, I should have looked it up and seen what the model I'm using is it's the it's the the non-carbon regular model Um, what's cool about it if you film your hunts what's really cool about it from my perspective is that you can adjust the level and angle of the arm almost infinitely because it works on kind of like a ball and socket type of technology you know like uh like your hip bone i guess you got this ball in there and then you can loosen or tighten this ball and that allows you to move that arm in whatever direction you want so that you can put this camera arm on a tree no matter what angle the tree's at and then adjust the camera arm (coughs) adjust the camera arm to be level and and where you need it much better than the other camera arms i've used used in the past so that was super nice um the things I didn't like about it was that it seemed to be just a little bit louder than other camera arms I've used. Like the arm itself is hollow, I think. And so anytime that something brushed against it, like even um, like the cord that connected my camera to the little remote control I used to adjust zoom and record and focus and stuff on the handle... Um, if that brushed against the arm, it would just make a loud noise, or if you dinged anything against it, it, it kind of echoed. Um, that was a little thing. Um, and then it has a ratchet strap on it to secure the whole thing to the tree. You have to use a ratchet strap. Uh, with my old camera arm, they had a different kind of strap system that used um, oh, what's the word? Oh, gosh. I don't know. That one had a more silent strap that Muddy produced that I liked. So if I could get this camera arm with the Muddy silent strap, that would be my perfect camera arm right here. Um, I know neither one of you guys are filming your hunts anymore, so you probably haven't used that. But uh, for the funny guys you, that are.
4: Funny you mention that because I had a, I sat down at a bar, uh, one of the bars uh, this week, and I ran into a guy that I knew, and he, he said the same thing about the fourth arrow saying that it's it's really loud and but a different type of a different type of loud not the hollow tube loud but like their bushings he, and maybe it's just a, a one-off too you know we talk about yeah you know could be good could be bad whatever but uh he said it, it was loud when he's actually using it
2: interesting you're like when he was when he's moving it around like at the yeah I'm moving it around yeah. yeah so it's a little squeaky yeah. Yeah. I could see that being the case. I mean, it's got some really good things going for it. Um, yeah. that adjustment is really, really nice, but like yeah. anything could probably use a few tweaks too. Uh, what's, what do you got, Spencer? You got anything on your mind that you want to talk about?
1: I was trying to think of something that I used, uh, on all of my haunts, whether it was elk, turkey, whitetails, or shotgun, archery rifle, uh, There's not much that crosses over to everything except I can think of one thing. Uh, My Sitka incinerator hand muff, and I literally used it on every hunt I had this fall. Uh, I just hate wearing big gloves no matter what I'm doing. And I used to wear glommets, which, you know, have the... Kind of the hand muff that you flip back, but then it's still a really bulky glove. And I used that for a while and it was okay, uh, unless you were like archery hunting, I didn't like it. Uh, but the Sitka incinerator muff, I, I took it duck hunting uh, when I was in a tree stand, when I was hunting elk. Uh, and I love that ability to keep my hands warm, but not have a bunch of stuff on my hands.
3: Mm.
2: Yeah. I, I, uh, I, My buddy Furter, he uses one of those... Furter! <laughs> Hashtag Furter. <laughs> um, Furter uses one of those mitts. Uh, one of those... What do you call it? It's a mitt, right? Or Incinerator muff. Muff. That's the oh. word I was looking for, muff. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Seems like a handy tool. Speaking of sick gear, um, and I can't remember if I mentioned this on a past podcast episode or not, but if you are interested in hearing about the entire Sitka gear system that I wear in great detail about it, why I wear the stuff I wear, what I like about it, etc. I did a YouTube video on it this fall during hunting season. If you go to the Wired Hunt YouTube channel or if you search Sitka gear whitetail review, you'll find that. You can get all my thoughts on that stuff. Um, But I want to point out something I wore from Sitka this year that I didn't wear for deer hunting. Um, but Sitka actually just launched a new category. They launched a new category of clothes, kind of just like lifestyle stuff, stuff for training or scouting or just hanging out. Um, and they sent me a few things to use this past year that I just wore all the time when I was living out of my camper out West, you know, on my trips this past year. Um, the Sitka territory pant is basically like a, I don't know how to describe it, like a light um, soft shell type pant, probably lighter than what most people would consider a soft shell pant, just a really light kind of camping or fishing type pant that uh, dries really quickly, um, really comfortable, a little bit of stretch to it. I wore it like on all my hikes, I wore it when I was fishing, I wore it, all sorts of things. Really liked that. And then their new Redline Performance shirts, so like a t-shirt and a long sleeve shirt, kind of like... You know what people would wear for like uh i don't know outdoor activities in the summer really lightweight wick sweat absorb sun rays etc 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 i wore that for all my hiking and stuff too great for wicking away the sweat comfortable um you know just a nice light convenient piece to wear in non-hunting activities so that was kind of a new thing i wore from them that i did like um and i'll be interested to see how they expand that line you know in coming years and see if people use that kind of stuff more often. But that was a new piece of gear I liked on that front. Dan, you want to jump on hey, something? Man.
4: Well, I tell you what, this year was different for me. Cause I did, I had a lot of change, uh, as far as my bow arrow broadhead setup. And in full disclosure. Uh, the, the nine finger chronicles is sponsored by gearhead bows and wasp broadheads. Right? So, Just know that before I tell you this but uh, we did a product review on uh, all the bows at the last ATA show and like Prime was up there and Gearhead Archery was up there right so anyway uh, I shot a new bow I love it Um, so take that what it's worth Uh, I shot my new uh, Boss four blade broadhead that dude I love not huge broadheads but the smaller broadheads with more blades, right? So it's four blades. And I went to a four-fletched arrow, and in the front of the arrow, it had an outsert, and that arrow was Zeller arrows, and it has an outsert on the front end, so it uh, it has a little bit greater FOC. Uh, I, it's a heavier arrow. It's a thick so, wall so arrow. So for
2: people, so for people that don't know archery jargon. Can you explain what an outsert is and can you explain what FOC, you know, very, very high level, what that means and why that matters?
4: Right, right. So an outsert is instead of – it's the opposite of an insert where you screw your broadhead (laughs) (laughs) into the, you know, the center of the arrow. An outsert is glued into the arrow and then you screw your broadhead into the outsert. And it's just a little extra weight, and FOC is front of center. And what, when it comes to archery, a higher front of center or uh, front of center FOC means that that air, arrow stabilizes a little bit quicker. Uh, and you know, when you see those slow motion, you know, you guys have both seen the slow motion of an arrow. Uh,
2: Isn't
1: that amazing? Once it comes
4: off the bow, yeah, just yeah, how it oscillates, completely like that? bends.
1: Yeah, it crazy. It's nuts. Right. So that along
4: with the four fletch on the back of the arrow is supposed to help like straighten that arrow out faster. And the what the four fletchings do is uh I'm sure there's people out there who may correct me if I'm wrong because I am in no way shape or form like a gear junkie when it comes to arrow setup and all the the technical stuff but it helps create more drag on the back end which helps also straighten the arrow out so i was shooting a heavier arrow with uh a higher foc and more drag on the back end to get that arrow straighter faster and so i was had a lot of momentum and a lot of uh kinetic energy so did
2: did you feel like you saw that um when you were practicing did you feel like your groups tightened could you notice it or was it just something that yeah this is supposed to work you trust that it works but it wasn't that noticeable
4: yeah man i tell you what i i could note uh i noticed a difference especially at longer ranges um you know you practice a lot and you can have bad form at 20 yards and you can put a group together but when you're backing up and you're shooting at you know 40 50 60 yards A lot of that matters at that point. So, I don't know. I I, I felt, and like we talk, this is what we talk about a lot whenever we talk about gear is confidence, right? I felt really confident with that setup this year, and uh, it allowed me to take the longest kill shot I've ever taken on a whitetail, and that was over 30 yards. And I don't know. I just I felt confident using that equipment, confident using that gear, and uh, I was able to practice. I, I and I did practice a lot this summer, probably more than I've ever practiced. So um, that probably helped as well. So yeah,
2: yeah. I I, uh, I did a little bit of the same thing in that I um I tried to increase my front of center by using a heavier broadhead. So I switched from 100 grain to 125 grains. Um, to move that FOC point farther up. And um, that's yep. something that I think helped too. Um, are you going to switch releases this year? Because last year you talked about switching to a, a hinge style release. You used it a little bit right. and then you ended up saying, ah, it's too late to make the switch. Are you going to make the switch right. this year or what?
4: I'm going to try. Um, and if anything, it's just going to be to practice, right? I'm going to use it to practice and practice and then I may just hunt with a trigger release. But um, I, yeah, I think I'm going to, I'm going to give that, uh, the back tension
2: a try again. Nice. Why, why, why would you practice with it all the time though? If you didn't want to shoot it, what would be the point of practicing with that kind of release and then switching to a trigger puncher? Um, I don't know, man. Or is it just cause I, you're still not confident that you, well, I've wanna... read
4: some things. I've, I've just some readings people saying that, you know, back tension really, and if this is just a couple articles, I couldn't even tell you who wrote them, but like a back tension release is great for target archery and great for, um, uh, practice, but in the moment of truth, when you, I don't know. When you're wearing additional clothing, when you're wear, you know, when, you know, deer are moving all around in, in the timber, it might not be the best possible bet. But I'm sure there's a hundred thousand people out there who are going to listen to this that tell me I'm wrong. Right. Yeah. So that's just one article that I've read. I would love if someone would say, Hey, no, dude, you're actually wrong. Uh, you know, message me or something. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've always thought the same thing. So, like, when I was. Making a switch to a back tension type release process, and when I've been looking at switching to an actual back tension release, I had the same concerns, but have heard from guys who said, no, you actually can control it. like like our you know Andy may, our friend Andy, has been helping me work through some of my archery adjustments, and um he swears by the fact that he can get a great release whenever he wants it using that kind of back tension release, so I don't know um back to Bose though. I switched to a new bow as well this year. I started shooting the Matthews Halon 32, and, um, man, that was definitely a positive experience with that as well. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't kill anything with it this year, unfortunately, but that wasn't the bow's fault. That was the the hunter's fault. Um, But with that, the thing I was most impressed with and it, with the Halon, <clears throat> the past couple of years, when Field & Stream or Outdoor Life did their big bow tests, they went through and tested all these bows on all these things. The Halon and then the Halon 32 both finished in the number one or number two, if I remember right, overall, uh, I think. And then also, like as far as like quiet like sound and vibration, it was like tops in those categories. So I knew that coming into it, but that was the thing that stood out to me the most, is just how weirdly quiet it seemed compared to past bows i'd shot i never thought i had a loud bow and then when i shot this it was just like weird it sounded wrong because of how different it was but as i got used to it i I just really liked the fact that it was so quiet so that was my big takeaway from it or just a a joy to shoot um excited to hopefully kill something with it this year um and tell you how that goes but uh it was a beautiful thing to shoot in practice sessions at least um uh, spencer What were you
1: shooting? Uh, I shoot a Halon 6, and I just started shooting that last year. And it was kind of the same kind of feeling, that it was a huge difference, uh, just noticeably better bow. And it wasn't because the last bow that I was shooting was, uh, you know, Brand X. It was just because I hadn't upgraded since, like... I, I don't know, 2011 or 2010, and so seven years of technology on top of that made a huge difference. No matter what brand you would go with, but I, I really loved my Halon 6 that I had. Nice,
2: nice, yeah. That uh, seemed to get good reviews from most people, and it's hard to go wrong with a lot of these bows these days. I mean, all the new bows from most of the you know the man, the reputable manufacturers—they're all pretty darn good bows. Um, it's kind of a matter of finding the right fit, the right feel for you you know what your priorities are as far as do i want a fast bow do i want a really quiet bow do i want a really small bow you know looking at your whatever circumstances you're going to be hunting in um so there are a lot of great options out there which is which is great for us as hunters i think uh, just a matter of going out there and shooting a bunch right absolutely man Okay, before we move on to our next category, I want to take our final break of the day and thank our partners at Maven Optics. And you may have seen this across Facebook or social media, but Maven has just announced that they're launching a new category of products for their brand this year, and that is Rifle Scopes. And Maven's been making binoculars and spotting scopes now for a while, uh, but now with Rifle Scopes, they've got a really appealing new option. This scope has 2.5 to 15x zoom. It has two different reticle options and has super high end ED glass, which is extra low dispersion glass. And what this means is that it prevents or minimizes chromatic aberration. And in layman's terms, that just simply means that you get a cleaner and brighter image, and of course, terrific performance in low light conditions. The kind of stuff that you want when you're hunting with a high end rifle scope. So if you'd like to learn more about the new Maven. RS1 scope, you can visit mavenbuilt.com. And uh, the scope is available now for pre-order, but products won't begin shipping until May. And FYI, if you order during this pre-order time period, they're currently offering a $200 off promo. So check it out at mavenbuilt.com. What's the next category? Well, I don't know.
4: I think, Mark, I know you you use them, but Spencer, what what tree stands
1: do you use? Uh, well, it depends for my permanent setups or setups that I throw up in, you know, the spring or summer and even till winter. It is always the $35 on sale tree stand yeah. that I can find at Menards or Dick's or Cabela's, whatever. My, yeah, mobile, setup, you know, uh, my mobile setup is I use a Hawk Helium uh, for both the sticks and the actual tree stand. Right. What did you think about right. those? Real sorry, Dan. I know you're going somewhere with this, but I want to hear what he thought about that setup, real quick. I I really enjoyed the sticks. I've tried. Uh, I, I didn't buy all the other brand sticks, but my buddies have them, and I, I've tried them out. Uh, my favorite sticks were by far the heliums. Um, now stand wise, I didn't notice a huge difference going from Hawk to Lone Wolf to you know whatever. Uh, I, I really enjoy the helium. I think it's a helium XL. Um, So I I like that setup. I don't do a ton of mobile hunts at this point where I have to throw something up in a hurry. But uh, I would feel more than confident that this is one of the better setups out there using the the Hawk Helium Sticks and and Tree Stand.
2: Yeah, so I'm going to comment on that because I tried the Helium XL Tree Stand this year and the Helium Climbing Sticks as well. Um, The stand, I liked. It was light. Um, and I love the seat cushion, super comfortable seat cushion. I thought all that was good. Um, I wouldn't have gotten the XL version uh, again, just cause it's too big of a platform for me. I like like small because I want something that's just not going to be big on my backpack when I'm packing it in there. And it's, I want it as light as possible. So I would have gotten a smaller version. I'm pretty sure they have a smaller version. Um, the sticks, I didn't like as much. Um, they're fine. Like they, they work pretty good. Um, they worked well, but, It just, they didn't fit together as nicely, as quietly as some of the other ones. And then then I just had some issues with the the buckle mechanism, the attachment mechanism for the straps that go around the tree. Um, I don't know how to describe these, but they've got like a plastic hook within a spring-loaded metal clip. And um, number one, it can be loud if they bang against things. Number two, I had an example uh, where I just, I don't even know how to describe how I did this, but somehow I I was testing the stick and I clipped this thing onto the other side of the stick around a a post in my barn. And the long story short of it is that it, it got stuck. It got pushed in too far. I couldn't get the stupid thing off. It was really frustrating. Um, it just seemed like if you could accidentally push this thing in so far that you couldn't get it off again, that was, that was a concern. Like I may not be the smartest tool in the shed, but uh, if it happened to me, maybe it would happen to other people too. So that was the one other thing, a little bit of an issue with their clip and attachment mechanism. But uh, what are you thinking, Dan?
4: Well, you know what I'm going to say, right? I I I mean, I do the, and I was, it's not that it was a new piece of gear, but it's, it's a, it was an experience that I had this year. You know how, how I killed my deer walk into a new piece of property. Uh, with the stand on your back, I was 100% mobile, I was able to use it the way it was designed to be used, and I found success doing it that way. And it's just one of those things where, again, you gain a little bit more confidence in your equipment when it, everything
2: goes right. Yeah. Yeah, man. I do I do love those Lone Wolf stands and sticks. And maybe maybe I'm a little bit critical of the Hawk sticks just because I'm so used to to the lone wolf setup like i do love they call it like the versa button right it's just yeah. a cloth loop that you put around the button and you tighten it down it's just easy it's easy it's pretty quiet um now my favorite sticks are actually the muddy sticks they have the rope cam system there's no buckle at all you just put the rope around the tree and then cinch it um that's my favorite stick but um but the lone wolf stands are still hard to beat for me too those are the the ones i use for all my mobile setups as well um yeah. There's, there's Just, there are, there are it's more so and more easy. Yeah. I was going to say there are more and more high quality portable setups. So like, it's nice to see more companies are focusing on that and putting out lightweight, quiet stands. Um, and I think that's cause more and more people are hunting that way. Right. Right.
4: That's what I would assume, you know, with it being harder and harder to find, you know, private ground or have access to that kind of thing. And people are having to go onto public to hunt
1: yep now Mark you had said that you thought the Helium XL was too big did you think it like weighed too much or the platform was too big or what did you think the problem was there
2: it was just um, it was just the platform was too big so I I would have liked to get if I'm right I think I'm right correct me if I'm wrong here but I
1: think that there's a regular Helium and then there's a Helium XL am I correct on that well the Helium, I believe, has been discontinued. Okay. Uh, well, not it, they, they just haven't been selling them online anymore. So I think if unless you find them in a store, that you won't have a chance to get one.
2: Gotcha. So I like the basic prints. I like the Helium XL. I liked it. I just wish that I had a smaller version of it because I want the smallest, lowest weight – smallest uh surface area tree stand i can get because i just want something that i can get through the woods really easy like when i'm sneaking in to hunt a new spot sometimes like on public land or something i'm like going through briars and crap and like if there's something sticking way out outside of my backpack on my back that's clipping against branches or down trees or things that's a pain in the butt so i want just something as small and as light as i can possibly get so the lone wolf stand i use is the assault which is the really small one yeah um I know a lot of guys like the big platform cause they want more space to be able to stand up there and spread their, you know, spread out a little bit. Um, I am fine with a small platform. So that's just a personal preference thing. It, 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 for the size that it was, it seemed pretty darn lightweight. I don't remember what the exact weight on it was. Um, but it did not feel significantly heavier than my lone wolf assault and it did have a larger surface area. So that was, I mean, it, it was lightweight. It's nice. Um, I just kind of like smaller, more compact, just from a portability standpoint. Uh, Anything else on tree stands? I don't think so, man. Okay. I got to touch on optics real quick because I tried two new optics this year. um, And, you know, we work with Maven, so I'm using Maven optics. And they came out with a spotting scope this year, which I used. Super nice spotting scope. I'm not – I can't say, you know, I've used every other spotting scope out there I haven't used – all the ever, all the others, and compared them. So I, I can't say this, um, you know, with that kind of context. But what I can say is I used it out there, you know, looking for whitetails in Montana. I used it here in Michigan doing my long-range scouting for Holyfield and and these different deer like that. Um, and it it just does the job. Really, really crystal clear. Great performance in low light. I was very happy with that. Um, but the thing that I think more relevant for whitetail hunters um, is the new. Mid-level bino that came out this year um called the C1. Uh in the past, the past Maven binoculars that I've used, they're high-end optics, so they're pretty expensive. You know, thousand dollar, twelve hundred dollar optics, more than that, even. The cool thing about Maven was that because they only operate direct to consumer, you have to buy them right from their website, they don't have the markups that you see with a lot of other brands that sell in stores. So that was like their kind of selling point. But it was still a high-end optics, so those price points were probably more expensive than most whitetail hunters want to spend. Cause I think a lot of whitetail guys don't think that they need the really fancy optics like Western hunters tend to. Um, I feel like a lot of Western guys are willing to spend thousands of dollars in optics cause they spend all day behind the glass, you know, searching out op- hillsides a mile or two away, but us whitetail hunters, we don't do that that much. Um, so Maven put out this new binocular it's called the C1 and it tried to you know, hit this sweet spot as far as, um, price point. So it's only $325. And what they were able to do is they were kind of able to take the same kind of glass and technology that they are using in their higher end optics, packaged it a little bit, you know, not quite as fancy of knickknacks and paddy wax on it that the higher end had, but still a damn good binocular, um, that I used for most of this season and was, and was very, very happy with it. Again, good binos, I think where you see the differences in low light, you know, so if you can, I've had many times, many times where almost, you know, at dark or after dark, you can still see a deer hundred, 200 yards away and tell is that the buck I've been after? Is that a shooter buck? Is that a mature buck or something? With a really good binocular, you can see that. And I've had that come in really handy with these. So really happy with them. And I think that price point makes it a, a particularly relevant thing to mention for whitetail guys. If you're looking for a new binocular that, that, Definitely, it's a significant bump up from you know most of your stuff that you're buying at a Walmart, Cabela's, Dick's Sporting Goods, the basics. Um, this is a great way to get an improvement, but not spend a ton of money. Um, that was my, my my optics kind of new test this year. I don't know if you guys have been trying anything different or have any other things that you'd recommend.
4: No, man. I I wish I had any something more groundbreaking. It my my setup was other than my like arrow setup was. Pretty much the same from previous
2: years, you know. Did you try anything else new at all, Spencer? Any other gear, otherwise? Any, t- any uh, category?
1: Well, with the optics, I went with a new rangefinder this year. I went with a Vortex Impact. And like I said earlier, with that hand I like things that cross over nicely that I can take elk hunting deer hunting turkey hunting stuff like that and and the impact from vortex was perfect because it did angle compensating so it was great if you were in a tree stand uh it had the ability to range out to like 850 but it could still pick up a deer at like 400 so it was awesome for that uh so it was just another piece of gear that i could you know use for whatever and it was it was really cheap too i believe it was under 300 dollars, which for being feature rich like that, you, you usually don't find and then the glass was really good on it as well. I've used some cheaper range finders in the past that you could look through and you didn't know what you were looking at because there's not much for magnification there. And so if you don't have like quality glass, you're just not going to be able to tell what you're looking at in low light. So I was really excited about that and something I'll continue using going forward. Um, outside of optics for new, I, I went to a stick and pick mini mount this year. Um uh, for a lot of my trail cameras in south dakota we are the great plains we don't have a lot of trees so i hunt a lot of sloughs i hunt a lot of field edges and the perfect tree just doesn't exist quite often and these are awesome because a lot of people look at like a trail camera stick and be like oh yeah that one just stabs into the ground or whatever but the mini mount folds up to be like i don't know you know Shorter than your arm, and it can fit in a backpack. and They're really light, uh, they can go 360 degrees, they can look up or down, whatever you want. And so, that's become perfect for me for somebody who's really picky about you know where their trail camera goes. And it's allowed me to put it in places that I couldn't in the past.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I use a couple stick and picks too, and I really like those as well. Handy to have, that's for sure. Um, and speaking of range finders, that's something I need to upgrade this year. I haven't changed my rangefinder in like seven years. I'm using like a really old Bushnell that just like you said, um, it doesn't work well in low light. So I can't see anything in there. The, the LED or the LCD numbers and stuff are really dim. It's hard to read that stuff. It's kind of just, it's, it's maxed out its life expectancy. So I might have to check out that one you mentioned or some others and, and look at some options this year. Cause that's definitely a spot I need an upgrade. Um, one other big change I added this year, um, and this is probably my final piece of new gear, was I tried, and you mentioned this earlier, Dan, from the Ozone standpoint, everyone's jumping on the Ozone bandwagon, you know? Um, right. And probably the like Ozonics, was pretty clearly the first one trying something with that. The second one to the game was this company, Scent Crusher, and they sent me some of their products to try this year. So I used the Scent Crusher bag and Scent Crusher tote um, pretty consistently throughout the whole season. Um, and I don't know what I think about them to tell you the truth. I think uh, I think the concept makes sense mostly because um, I have seen Ozonics work in the field. Like that's something that I can kind of point to and say, okay, I've seen a very different reaction from deer when using it versus when not using it, and that's like a, a an impact you can see. So that has made it easy for me to say, yes, I think this helps when it comes to an Ozonics machine. With a scent crusher bag, you're kind of putting a little more more faith into it because you're doing something to your clothing before the hunt, and then going out there in the woods and then hoping it made an impact. But it's hard to it's hard to quantify that, you know. Um, so if you're not familiar, essentially, scent crusher creates bags, closets, totes that you put your clothing in, and then it it uh, fills that bag or compartment with ozone. Which changes scent molecules, breaks down scent molecules to the point where they cannot be recognized by deer human scent. Um, that's what an Ozonics machine does too. But this just does it to the clothing beforehand. So I put all my stuff in the bag. I ran the ozone every night. Um, I, I assume it helped. I know it helped. I'm sure it helped some. I just don't know to what degree it helped. You can definitely tell. Like, I, I would go out in the early season. Like I was going out and hunting in Montana in September and it was 95 degrees. And I was just drenched in sweat by the end of the hunt. By the end of the time I hiked to the stand really. Um, and so that stuff would have a B.O. smell to it by the time I was done in the evening. I would throw that stuff in the bag at night, I would run it for 30 minutes, and the next day you you don't smell that B.O. anywhere. You smell there's that ozone smell that I know you know, Dan. Um, but there's not the human sweaty stink smell yeah. to it. So anecdotally from like a personal human nose standpoint it seemed to work. Um I just don't know. How that translates to, you know, did it help me five percent more on the field? Did it help me two percent more? Did it help twenty-five percent more? I don't know. I didn't see like some noticeable reduction in the number of deer that winded me. You know. Um so I just any, can't.
4: any damage to any of your clothing. You know, a lot of guys talk about the
2: elastic on certain things. Once it stretches, it doesn't go back. Yeah, man. So that was the next thing I was gonna mention. That was the one major downside. And this can be blamed on me because I knew that this could happen and I just made a mistake. So i had been told um, the, the, the owner of Scent Crusher, I think it's the owner or the president, had told me that there are certain rubbers um, that can be broken down by ozone. Um, and so then through people I knew at Sitka and other people that wear Sitka gear, they said that the rubber used in the suspender straps on Sitka gear's bibs is one of those types of materials that ozone will break down. So I knew not to put my bibs into the scent crusher tote. I knew not to do that. So most of the season, I didn't do that. But got to the rut, and I had hunted, you know, days and days and days and days in a row for the full day, all day. And when you get done with a hunt at night, I'm so tired. I'm cold. I'm wet. I just want to get inside the house. Just want to get home, whatever it might be. And one night, I forgot. And I just threw all my gear in the tote and turned it on. Didn't think about my bibs next day when I opened up the toad I realized there's my bib strap that was like completely destroyed um so that happened one of the straps is okay one of the straps I don't know how to describe it it's just like all the rubber kind of just decomposed almost there's just like little strands of fabric that are still holding it together Um, So that was a that was a serious bummer and a lesson learned Um, just be aware if you've got any kind of like rubber Elastic bib or strap or something that if you're using any kind of ozone product and like you said Dan There's a bunch of different companies now. that are making containers generators different things that put ozone on your clothes and stuff Be aware that it can damage certain rubbers um, And and try to figure out if your clothes or your gear has that and avoid that Um, because I kind of ruined a really expensive nice pair of bibs um, because I made that mistake so that was a bummer any other final pieces of gear thoughts before we wrap this one up I'm good man I don't think
1: so
2: have we rambled enough for you Spencer on this one
1: that's plenty (laughs) we're uh, over 90 minutes so that's uh, we're really going to educate some people (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, uh,
2: then I think we'll, we'll wrap it up. Hopefully this coming year, we'll try out some new things and we'll actually pay attention to them while we're using them. And we'll put together some well thought out, meaningful feedback on those products for the next year, rather than having these random off the wall comments. Um, hopefully there's something helpful here though. So let's just tie a knot on this one and wrap it up. And that is it. So I just want to, as we do every week, thank again our partners who help make all this possible. Big thank you to Sitka Gear, Yeti Coolers, Matthews Archery, Maven Optics, the Whitetail Institute of North America, Trophy Ridge, and Hunter Maps. And finally, of course, thank you all for sticking with us on this one, to hearing us out as we uh, rant and ramble about gear. Hopefully, it was helpful. If you're one of those lucky guys that still has a hunting season going on good luck and if not if your season's done like mine is enjoy a little break take a deep breath and get ready to start preparing for 2018 so until next time thanks again and stay wired to hunt